15 Years in Hell, Chapter 6. This one's a lot about the man's mother. Oh, it's sad stuff. Sorry, we're going to have to actually read it. Might finish that at the end. Law practice at Rushville. Bright prospects. The blight. From bad to worse. My mother's death. My solemn promise to her. Broken, oh God. Reflection. My remorse. The memory of my mother. A young man's duty. Blessed are the pure in heart. The grave. Young man, murder not your mother. Rum. A knife which is never red with blood, which which has severed souls and stabbed thousands to death, and the desolation and death which are in alcohol. My next move was to Rushville, where I opened an office and commenced practicing law. For a time I kept sober and was so successful in my profession that from the very beginning I more than made my expenses. In fact, my prospects for a brilliant career as a lawyer seemed most flattering. The predictions were many that an uncommon future lay before me, but, alas, I could stand prosperity no better than adversity. My appetite grew to such a craving for stimulants that it tortured me. It had slumbered for weeks, as it had since, only to make itself manifest in the end with the force of a hurricane. While it had appeared to sleep, it was gathering strength. At the time it dragged me down, I was boarding with some others at the house of an elderly widow. So completely was I transformed from man to something debased that I went to her house and I fell through the front door on the floor dead drunk. The landlady through the, yes, the landlady had me carried back to my office, where I lay like a water-sodden log, wholly unconscious until the next morning. When I awoke, I had no knowledge of anything that had happened. My friends informed me of my fall at the house and of their bearing me back to the office. I paraded myself bitterly, but it was days before I had the courage to show my face on the streets. So keen were my shame and sense of disgrace. Time softens the wildest remorse, and in a few weeks I regained a state of quiet feeling. But, unfortunately, most of my associates were among the class of young men who are never averse to taking a drink, and it was not long before I found myself again visiting saloons. Although I did not give up right away to take a drink with them, but I got to staying in the saloons more than in my office, and began to go down steadily. Good people who felt sorry for me, and who wanted to aid me, would do nothing for me unless I would do something for myself, and this I could not, or did not, do. I moved from office to office, always descending in respectability, because always violating my promises not to drink. Occasionally I would make a desperate effort to reform, gathering about me every element of strength which I could possibly command, and for a while I would be successful. But just as hope would begin to light up my darkened path and my friends began to feel a newborn confidence in me, 
an infernal and terrible desire would take possession of me, and in a moment all that I had gained would be swept away by my yielding to the demon that tempted me. I debauched longer and more utterly sickening and vile than the last followed, after which I would settle down into a condition of hopelessness which would appall the bravest and strongest. So deplorable, indeed, was my feeling regarding the matter, that then, as since, I kept on drinking for days after the appetite had left me or had been satisfied, in order to deaden the horrible agony that I knew would crush me when my reason returned. I now come to an event in my life which affected me at the time beyond the power of words, and which I cannot without tears of choking sorrow even now dwell upon. I refer to the death of my mother which occurred during the winter after my going to Rushville in 1867. She had been sick a long time and had suffered very intense pain, but for days before her death I think she forgot her own physical torments in anxiety and solicitude about me. I went home a few days before she died, and I remained with her until the last. She talked to me much and often, always begging and pleading with me, only a dying mother can plead to save myself from the life of a drunkard. I promised her solemnly and honestly that I would never again taste liquor. As I gazed upon her wasted face and read death in every liniment, I heard the dread angels approach in every breath of pain she drew, and I saw above all in her fast diming eyes that the horrors of her approaching dissolution were almost unthought of in her care for me. I resolved deep down in my heart never to taste liquor again and kneeling by her dying form, I called to heaven to witness that no more, oh, never, never no more, would I go in the way of a drunkard, or touch in any form the unpitying and soul-destroying curse. She was dead, and it came upon me that she who had loved and suffered most for me, and without a reproach, was never more to look upon me again or speak words of comfort and aid to my ears, so often unheeding. At that moment, looking through scolding tears at her holy face, and afterwards, when I heard the grey plods falling with their terrible sound upon her coffin lid, I swore that I would keep my promise, no matter what the temptation to break it might be. She would not be here to see my triumph, but I would conquer for her memory's sake, and all would be well. I swore by earth, sea, and sky, never, never to break the promise made to her in the moment of her dying. That promise I broke within two months from that day it was solemnized by my mother's death. I shudder still, remembering the agony of that fall. Broken, O oh God. The promise has been broken, is what first entered my mind. Never before had I suffered, as I then suffered. My wild revel was protracted for days out of dread of the awful sorrow and remorse that I knew must surely come on my getting sober. My mother appeared to me in my troubled dreams, and I talked to me as if in life. Many times in my slumber and in my waking fancies did I see her pale, troubled face, with her pitying eyes looking on me as from that bed of pain and death, and at such times I reached out my hands towards her in mute pleading for forgiveness, forgetting or not knowing that she was dead. But the moment soon came when the truth was flashed through the blackness of night upon me, and then my misery was more than I could bear. For years before her death I had lain in bed, and listened to her moaning in her troubled sleep, to the sighs which escaped from her heart and that of my father, and I promised that God of my hope for salvation, that if he would only let me live, I would no more give them pain. Cold, clammy sweat broke out over my face, and my heart beat so slow and weak that in very terror I felt my eyeballs were bursting from my head, 
Again and again I begged and plead and prayed that God would spare me and let me live until I could convince my father and my mother that I never would drink again. But my prayers were not answered. My mother went out from me in fear and dread and doubt. My father lives, but for me he has little or no hope. If ever a mortal longed and yearned for one thing more than another in this uncertain existence, I long for a peaceful and quiet evening of life for my beloved father. I implore the father of all of us to give me grace and strength enough to keep sober until my remaining parent is fully pursued, and I am truly and beyond question saved from the curse which has driven me to an asylum and well nigh sight him, a broken-hearted man, to his grave. Oh, for a strength which will forever enable me to resist the hell-born and hell-supported power of the fiend alcohol. Could I do this and have my father know in his dying hour would be full of sweet peace and a joy so shining that its light would drive afar off shadows of his death of agony. In that knowledge, death would be vanquished and heaven would stoop to earth and cover his grave with glory. Oh, God, grant me this one boon. Give me this one request in every step of my life. I have disappointed him. In the future, let all hopes and joys and aspirations die if needs be, but all but this, this one, that I may never in any way touch liquor again. May every man and woman who sees this allow their hearts to go out in an earnest prayer that I may succeed in this one thing. It is now too late for me to reach the bright promises of other years. It is now too late for me to regain all that has been lost. But this I would do, and it will make me feel at the last that I have not lived altogether to be a remorse and shame to those who are bound to me by ties which cannot be broken. God may answer your prayers, if not mine, so that from the throne of heavenly grace may come the peace and the rest for which my weary soul has sought so long in vain. When I drank after my mother's death, many persons took occasion on learning of it. Sense of me in unsparing times, it was even said that I did not love my mother in life, that I had no respect for her in memory and death, and that I was a heartless wretch, that persons had no knowledge of the power of my appetite. They did not know the passion for liquor, or once developed or firmly established, is stronger in its unholy energy than the love of the heart, of my heart at least, for my mother, father, brother or sister, but let me beg that I may not be charged with indifference to my mother's memory. She comes before me now, she who was a true wife, faithful friend, and a loving and gentle mother. And I kneel to her, and I pray blessing and a pardon. I would clasp her to my heart, but alas, when I would touch her, the bitter memory comes that she is gone. But I will not repine, for I know she is with her God. Her life was pure and blameless, and her soul, on leaving its weary earthly tabernacle, passed to its inheritance, a mansion incorruptible, that one will not fade away. She bore her cross without the murmur of complaint, and she has been crowned where the spirit of the just are made perfect. Blessed are the pure in heart, we read. And I know that I am not misquoting the spirit of the holy book when I say for the same reason, blessed is my mother, for she was pure of heart and passed from tribulation to peace, from night to day, from sorrow to joy, from weariness to rest, a rest in the bosom of God. It may be, that some young men will read these pages, whose mother is still among the living. I do not think that such a one will be without love for his mother, a dear, compassionate, doting, gentle mother, who loved him before he knew the name of love, who sang him to sleep in the years that were, and awoke him with kisses on the bright mornings long ago, who bathed his head with a soft hand when it throbbed with pain, and smiled when the glow of health was on his cheeks. 
She wept holy tears when he suffered, and when he was delighted, her heart beat with pleasure. It was she who taught him that August prayer, which is sacred in its simplicity to childhood. She's aged now. Her wealth of brown hair is white with winter's age. Her step is no longer quick. Her eye has lost its lust, and her hand is shaken with the pulsing of lost vigour. There are wrinkles in her brow and hollows in the cheeks which were once so lovely that his father would have bartered a kingdom for them. She is sitting by the side of the tomb, waiting for the mysterious summons which must soon come. O oh, young man, you for whom this mother has suffered, you for whom she cherishes a love which is priceless and deathless, you will not hasten her into eternity by an act or word or look, will you? It would kill her to know that you had fallen under sin's destroying stroke. Sometimes she goes to the portrait of your boyish face and looks at it. At other times she takes down some worn and faded garment that you were wont to wear in those beautiful days of past and recalls how you looked when you wore it. Then she goes to the room where you used to sleep and looks at the cradle in which she so often rocked you to sleep and, after all is seen, she returns to her chair, the old easy chair, and waits to hear tidings of you. What would you have her know? What news of yourself can you send her? Think of it well, would you put your wayward foot on her tender and feeble heart? Is her breathing so easy that you would impede it with brutal stab? Oh, if you know no pity for yourself, have some for her. You will not murder her, will you? Yes, you reply, and the laughter of mocking devils float up from the caves of hell. Yes, give me more rum. Now hear the truth. The time will come when the grass will seem to wither from your feet. Pain will stifle your breath, remorse will gnaw your heart and fill all your days and nights with misery unspeakable. Your dreams will torture you in your sleep and your waking thoughts will be torments. Your path will lie in gloom and your bed will be a pillow of thorns. You will cry in vain for that departed mother. You will beg heaven to give her back, but the grave will be silent. The grasses are creeping over her tomb and the white hands have crumbled upon her faithless breast. But no, you will not kill her. You will not call for rum. I have wronged you. Thank God you will be a man. You are a man. You will lay this book down and swear that you will never touch the accursed, ruinous drink, and you will keep your oath. By sobriety and good habits, you will lengthen your mother's days in the land and smooth her troubled brow and give her strength through her failing limbs. Rum is a dreadful knife whose edge is never red with blood, but which yet severs the throats from ear to ear. It assassinates the peace of families. It cuts away honour from the family name, and it lets out the vital spark of life, and is followed by inconsolable death. It pierces hearts and enters the bosom of trust, goring in it with gashes which God alone can heal. Rum is a robber who is deaf to hungry children's cries and famished wives' pleadings. He is a fell destroyer from whom peace and comfort and content fly. No one can afford to be his subject, and it is the duty of everyone to rise in arms against him. Let him be cursed everywhere. Let anthemas be hurled against him by the young and old of both sexes. Death is an angel of mercy sometimes. This destroyer never. Death may open the gates of heaven to every victim, but this destroyer can unbar alone the gates of hell. He takes away concord and love and joy, and in their stead leaves the horror and misery of pandemonium.